For a Friend podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Laura McGuire, an intersectional queer sexologist and doula. Each month, we sit down with a special guest for a thought-provoking conversation on how our sexuality, gender, race, faith, and ability shape our sexual experiences and identities as queer people. All right. Thank you for joining us today. This is Asking for a Friend with Dr. Laura McGuire. Today, our incredible guest is my friend and someone I deeply look up to, Miracle Mayoral. And she is going to walk us through a really interesting topic that is getting more attention, but probably not enough, which is asexual, ace identity and experience. So to start us out, Miracle, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what makes you fabulous? Sure. And oh my gosh, so many things make me fabulous, but I'll try to limit. Um, (laughs) So my name is Miracle Mayoral Goodwin. I am a cishet female. Um, My pronouns are she and her and ella, if I do it in Spanish. So, uh, because I am bilingual. Um, And yeah, I I am also uh, actually married in an ethical non-monogamous relationship with my spouse, um, with a cishet male. So, uh, and yeah, I'm... I'm, as you said, I'm ace. Uh, I came out as ace in October and, uh, things that make me fabulous. I'm a caseworker. I work for YMCA international, uh, working with refugees and asylees, but my passion is working with domestic violence and sexual assault survivors. Awesome. Yes. And that's, and that's how we met back in Houston. I know we have a lot of Houston listeners on this show. And so Lots of lots of terms that you included there. So I'd like to explore a few of those to start out. So just to really begin with, what is asexuality, right? People might say, oh, I know gay, I know straight, I know bi, but now there's all these other terms. People are pansexual, demisexual, asexual, aromantic, right? And are those the same thing? So can you educate us a little bit on what that identity means to you? Sure. So asexual is a person. So I identify as gray asexual, which is um, somebody who doesn't have as much of an uh, a physical drive to have um, sexual physical intimacy. Um, but, uh, you know, it's under the asexual umbrella. So there's like a lot of variations on the spectrum. Um, and so as a gray asexual, I have some sort of I like to think of them as spikes of sexual drive, um, which my spouse gets to benefit from. Um, But uh, most of my experience with intimacy or uh, desires of intimacy are not related to physical intimacy. So in that space, you also mentioned ethical non-monogamy. So can you, again, kind of define that for us and also share a little bit of how does that intersect with asexuality? 
Sure. So uh, ethical non-monogamy or um, most commonly known as polyamory um, is being in an ethically non-monogamous relationship or um, being able to have multiple partners. Uh, while um, also the ethical part is that both parties are actually involved in this in the conversation. Um, so it isn't really considered cheating because you're both in the relationship itself and also your partners outside are also um, aware that you're in a non-monogamous relationship. So um, that is how my partner and I interact with that. Um, we're just starting out in this particular category. Uh, we were monogamous, um, but it intersects with my asexuality because I know that as his partner, I cannot fulfill the especially physically, I can't fulfill his needs. Um, and he cannot fulfill mine with um, not wanting to be physically intimate. So, or how I define intimacy. So uh, this was a way for us to get both our needs met while also prioritizing each other. And I think that's, that's such an important conversation, right? So many people will listen to this and say, okay, I'm hearing some of these definitions. This piques my interest. Maybe I've heard a little bit about them before, but you know, I'm I'm not sure if that aligns with who I am or if that would work for my relationship. So you mentioned both of these things are kind of new. You're just really getting into the depths of exploring them yourself. Um, but can you tell us uh, a little bit about that journey? How did you get to the point where you said, "Yeah, these are my identities, and this is how I'm going to describe my experience." And also some ways that it's kind of helped you as an individual and helped your partner understand you better. I sort of came into this journey. So I do a lot of work with sexual assault survivors. Um, that's basically been my bread and butter. I um, And I work especially with trauma survivors. And one of the key components of working with um, especially sexual assault survivors is uh, inter, uh, intersectionality between sex um, and intimacy and um, self-definition or self-esteem. So uh, we, in, in sexual assault, sex is used as the weapon. It is not a, uh, it is not the, the reason for the act. So um, in that sense, definitions around sex, whether it's hyposexuality or slowed down sexuality or hypersexuality, which is extreme um, like promiscuity or, or other practices of that nature, um, we get sort of this feeling of, I have a specific view around sex. And so, um, and that's sort of how that came for me because I have, um, Ever since I was very, very young, um, I thought that there was something wrong with me because I was not interested in sex. Um, I thought that it, not that it was dirty, but rather that it was, again, part of it was from my own trauma from sexual assault. But to see um, that sex is a, was a power play. It wasn't an intimate act. And so for me personally, um, I found other ways of finding pleasure and enjoyment that didn't have to do with the physical act, which was how that sort of led me into um, understanding asexuality. Um, 
and I have had uh, lots of reading and um, experiences with either clients or working, um, doing the work that I do. And it just seemed to fit. Like it checked all my boxes because I was, I actually looked up not physically interested in sex and like it was like an umbrella or like a, an aha moment of asexual. And I was like, Oh, okay. What's this? And I started reading it and I started seeing the spectrum of asexuality and, um, that has helped in defining for myself. I stopped thinking that there was something wrong with me because a lot of the time, um, you know, we are fed this image of, you know, sex cells and, and whatever. And so when you're not interested in physical intimacy, when you're not interested um, as that as your norm, then uh, you start thinking that there's something wrong with you. <laughs> like, like, you know, I thought it was medication. I thought it was illness. I thought, I thought a whole lot of things. Um, and I started realizing that I'd been feeling this way since I was very young. And so I started looking into seeing what exactly that meant for me. And I think that that is, that's such a powerful statement, right? Kind of bringing together these experiences and saying, again, what, what word describes this authentic feeling for me, this experience for me and the way that I interact with others in the world. And how, how does your partner, um, been able to support you? Uh, maybe they, they found this challenging as well, or, you know, and then, like you said, you're still starting out embarking on this journey together. Right. So can you tell us a little bit, um, of how, how that's been for them and how that's allowed your relationship to evolve and perhaps deepen anything kind of in, in that realm. Yeah. So my partner has been super supportive about it. Um, it was really funny because when I first came out uh, as asexual or identified as asexual, um, somebody uh, asked me, well, then why did you get married if you are asexual? Um, and I was like, because I love my partner, like being asexual doesn't mean that I don't love my partner, you know, and, and so it, it makes it sometimes difficult to have to explain that if I do, because we don't make it this huge public thing because we're still a couple and we do things together. Um, but it has been challenging for him as well. Um, partly because now there's a name. So you know, and it, it is a thing that exists. So it's, it's no longer like, oh, well, maybe now it's, no, there's a thing that exists. And, um, and navigating how we view intimacy between the two of us. So um, that is actually how it opened up into our, our ENM or our, our ethically non-monogamous relationship, because it opened up those lines of communication for us to say, like, I know I'm not able to meet your needs. And I had to decide if my relationship with my partner was more important than my needs for intimacy, like for monogamy, not so much for intimacy, but for monogamy. And the truth is, is that I care about my partner more than I care about the supposed to be in quotes of monogamy. 
And so we said, okay, how can we address this? And one of the ways that we thought uh, out that we could address this is by being in a polyamorous relationship and just also maintaining the lines of communication. Um, It has definitely deepened our relationship because now I think he understands where I come from more. Um, It has allowed me to explore things that I've been um, very afraid to explore um, because I thought, A, there was something wrong with me or B, you know, how would that affect um, being in a relationship? So uh, especially with um, non-monogamy, you know, um, and so that that has really impacted our relationship in, in a positive way, I think. Yes. And I, I think that's something I hear kind of across the board with anyone who goes on an exploration of identity is in the end, it helps all the relationships you have, right? Your family, your friends, your partner, because as you're learning more about yourself, you're able to communicate more effectively. This is who I am. This is how I experience the world. This is what I need. And then, you know, negotiate those boundaries and those expectations. Going back a little bit to something you mentioned a moment ago, you talked about being a survivor. And I know that's something we share. And also that's one of the reasons we both love being in this field and helping other survivors. But I know in some ways that has been sometimes weaponized against people who are asexual, right? They'll say, oh, you're not really asexual. Uh, This must be related to trauma. And then if they're both a survivor and asexual, they're like, oh, see, that's that's the causation, right? Versus correlation. And and also people might say, well, you know, is this the same thing as chastity or abstinence? Is this like being sex negative or a religious thing? So can you kind of separate some of those things out for us? Absolutely. So um, it is by no means sex negative. Um, it's it's more like um it's, it's an exploration of how one experiences intimacy. So it doesn't necessarily, it can be physical sex or it can be cuddling or it could be um, sexting if that's, you know, if you're really more into that aspect of it. Like it, it just means how you define or derive pleasure, at least for me, how I define it, um, how you derive pleasure from you know, something that is related to intimacy. So uh, an intimacy could mean any number of things. I mean, it used to be in the old days that flirting was like showing your ankle or showing your your wrist or something like that. And that was like, oh my gosh, I'm so aroused because she showed me her wrist. Like it, it's a thing. So, um, you know, it's, it's just how your psycho-emotional response to intimacy and pleasure and how that works. So um, as a great asexual, I do derive some pleasure from the physical act. Um, Sometimes I might even initiate it. Um, But my drive is not as high. So it's, it's sporadic. So it isn't something that like, I could say it's hormonal where I I go, you know, I'm fertile this time of the month and that's why I want to have sex. No, it's really like, I could be fertile and I'd just be like, I have no interest. Like it's, it's not my jam, you know? Um, But I get the same thrill. I want to say from having a sexting exchange with my partner, it might not necessarily be a physical exchange. So um, it's absolutely nothing like abstinence and it's absolutely nothing like chastity. Um, 
in fact, it's more of an exploration of how you define intimacy. So if you define intimacy as no physical touch, but maybe you like the mental aspect of it, then that might be how you derive pleasure from it. Um, when it comes to uh, not wanting sex at, uh, at all because of trauma, um, so I believe that trauma can exacerbate or add to, but it isn't the reason. So I've actually been not sex averse, but I've been um, not as into sex um, pretty much all my life. Like I, I like the idea of sex more than I like the physical aspect of sex. And that was well before, you know, I started being intimate with anyone. That was well before um, I understood what it was to have a sexual identity uh, or an orientation. So, um, and it was well before I even started taking medication because some people will also say, well, you're taking birth control or you're taking antipsychotics or you're antidepressives and that slows your sex drive and that's why you're ace. And it started all way before that. That's so helpful. Thank you for clarifying those different aspects for people. I think a question I don't hear a lot in this discussion that I'd love to ask you is what are some awesome things about being asexual? As I'm figuring it out, <laughs> Um, and this is me because I have a, like a super adventurous streak. I'm like, Ooh, how far can I take this? <laughs> like, you know, and so I've, I've enjoyed, so one of the great things about being asexual is how much more varied my intimacy is. So I don't rely on sex, on physical sex or penetrative sex. I don't, I don't have to rely on that as a source of pleasure, which is amazing because it opens up a lot of doors. So I can have a beautiful exchange with my partner or with one of my, um, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to, how to call my, my others whom I, I share uh, some intimacy with in my ENM. Um, but uh you know, the exchanges I have with them, you know, and, um, and how I derive pleasure from that. So, uh, it, it expands my circle beautifully. Uh, it expands, uh, my awareness of, uh, having people in the community and just the spectrum of, of how either asexual, aromantic, um, you know, and, and, and what does that mean? Uh, so I find solidarity and comfort in that as well. Um, and also being able to provide that for others to be able to provide that normalization of, no, there's really nothing wrong with you. It's just, uh, it's, it's that you're just having, uh, an identity of like, I need to, I, I am this person and that's not wrong. You, you touched on, again, the ethical non-monogamy. And I think this is, this is such an important conversation in and of itself. So I don't want to skip over it at all. Can you, Get, get us through some of the common misconceptions around this topic. And like you said, it's something you're exploring and it's a spectrum, right? So what are some of those different aspects of that spectrum? What does it look like for different people maybe you're interacting with in the community so that people can kind of get an idea of what this looks like for different couples and different individuals? 
Sure. So um, on the the A spectrum, it's a lot like um, it's kind of it comes in waves. So you have um, you can be heterosexual, homosexual, um, uh, pansexual, like it doesn't and you can still be asexual. So um, it's it's one of those things where it's it's less about um, identity and more about like how you orient yourself as far as sexuality, because uh, I identify as gray, asexual, bisexual, polyamorous, right? So, um, so that's a lot of labels in like one person. <laughs> and really what it boils down to is I'm an, um, how I define intimacy is I have spikes of physical intimacy or not. Um, I am sexually attracted to men and women. Um, I personally, I am heteronormative in that respect. So I, I am not uh, as attracted to our uh, non-binary folks just because that's a personal preference for me. Um, but uh, definitely like, I know, I know what I like, let's put it that way. And then you have, so there's the bisexual part and then you have the polyamory part, which is being in a relationship with multiple partners in an ethical and communicative way. So, um, you know, when you break it down into its components, um, it's, it's still my identity. It's still like all of that encompasses one aspect of, of myself, of who I am and, and how I come into the world and show up. Um, as far as um, being polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous, it's um, how you show up is, is really entirely up to you uh, because you can make it very public and say, I am in a polyamorous relationship and this is my girlfriend and this is my other girlfriend or this is my girlfriend and this is my husband and this is my boyfriend. Like it doesn't matter. Um, because that's really on you uh, as the individual and your partners, if they also feel comfortable, because you also got to get that consent from all parties. Um, but when you show up, uh, how you show up is less important as far as labels, but owning it with your confidence and saying, yes, this is my partner. And yes, this is my other partner. And being okay with that and knowing that people are going to say, uh, what? <laughs> and you say, you know what? It works for me. Like, I don't need to define myself to you, but, um, you know, and in the case for me, I have a, I'm very close with my family. So having these conversations is a little tricky depending on who's the family member that I'm actually trying to have this conversation with. So, um, you know, and communicating all that with your partner or partners, plural. So um, really at the end of the day, it's communicating that everybody's on the same page. On that note in particular, I'm very curious as to your experiences with, I, I think actually number one, coming out to yourself again, like kind of touching on that moment when you said, yes, I'm going to come out as asexual and I identify as polyamorous and then sharing that with other people how you've kind of navigated that, some of the reactions that you've gotten, you've kind of touched on, but maybe explain a little more of how you've dealt with those reactions because that's where a lot of people don't want to come out, raise right? the fear. And it's very real that people will make assumptions, will make you 
uncomfortable. It's already hard enough to come out to yourself. And then dealing with everybody else's baggage is a lot. So if you can kind of tell us a little bit about that journey, that experience, you know, and, and how it's going, how you're taking care of yourself also on this, on this uh, journey, this aspect of the process. So I am selective. Um, and I say that um, not because I'm not comfortable with myself. Uh, it took me a really long time, first of all, to come out to myself. So to identify like, this is okay. And this is who I am. And the biggest sense of relief that came afterwards with like things falling into place was amazing because I didn't have to deny it anymore. And on top of that, I didn't have to, um, I didn't have to choke on it because, and, and, and thinking again with my self-esteem that there was something wrong with me. I was like, there's a label for this. There's people that are like me. This is great. Um, so I was very selective about how I came out. Um, I made the decision to come out as ACE um, publicly. So I did it, I did it on Facebook, um, where I knew my family could see it, uh, where I knew that, uh, friends could see it. People that I knew from church growing up could see it like, um, and, and there was some backlash. There was absolutely some backlash. As I mentioned, I had somebody who asked, why did I bother getting married? If I was asexual, um, I've had people who are like, why, how does your partner feel about it? Like, doesn't this affect him negatively? And so my partner actually went on the thread and was like, this is her, this is her husband. Like I fully support her, <laughs> you know? And then my mom, <laughs> which I was afraid of was like, she is whoever she is. Like, I'm going to support her. And like, I love her. And so it was great. Um, so the, the result for that has been particularly positive. When I came out as bisexual, I came out to my group of friends from um, the vagina monologues. And so that was very, that was much more selective um, simply because I wasn't ready to have that conversation with my family yet. So, uh, and, and I've, I've been doing it one by one with them. Um, as far as being polyamorous, there's much more people that are aware of it, which I don't mind, but my, my, I know that there's going to be questions that pop up. And so, um, I do things like this consciously to knowing when I'm ready, I will say, okay, I can deal with this. And, um, I have an amazing support system. I have a spouse who gets it. Uh, I have, uh, a family who is very, even if they don't know, they're very supportive. Um, and I have an amazing group of friends that are always, you know, cheering me on. Um, and they are also from all different parts of the LGBTQ spectrum. So um, I know that with them, I'm, I'm in a safe place. So, um, and as I explore, I, I definitely, the ones that I know that are experiencing this as well, I ask them questions and they have been really great about answering um, or I look it up, you know, but, but it's really having to be prepared to, to have that backlash um, because it's, it's going to happen. Some, somebody's going to have an opinion. 
Somebody's going to have I uh, another thought about like where my soul is going to go after all this. Um, you know, somebody's going to have an opinion about that or a feeling about that. And it's really just navigating those conversations and standing in my truth and saying like, I'm comfortable with this and I'm sorry you feel that way, but this is me. And it doesn't change anything about me. It just means I now have a name for the thing. So um, that, that doesn't change anything else. So as a Latina, how does being ace or being poly make intersect, I guess, with that experience, right? Making it either harder in some ways, maybe easier in others. Um, anything you want to speak to in that regard? Yeah. So being Latina and being asexual um, or being uh, poly is a... Uh, is a bit of a minefield <laughs> um, because uh, culturally speaking, we have such a strong drive to the whore Madonna dichotomy and to to like, you know, a, a woman's place and machismo culture. So having um, a woman, a Latina woman saying, I'm not really interested in sex is kind of like saying, I don't respect you as a man. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, I don't um, I don't want to have children or I don't I don't think that that's important, which is uh, culturally a, sort of a huge taboo um, and an identity thing. So it's it's very difficult being asexual and being Latina um, and being among my Latino peers uh, because it is a, a it's a a conversation to have to try to explain. Uh, there is the concept of sex and marriage um, being intermingled. And so being a married Latina uh, is like, you don't want to give your husband sex? Like, what, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and so, um, and then there's also this, this perception of, of him as a man, because is your woman not interested in sex with you like how does that how does that affect you as a man um regardless of the fact that my husband is not latino but um you know and actually because he's a white male like that's sort of a even bigger because he's like you know in in, in a space where we are seeing a lot of um issues around uh, white male supremacy um like wait so not only did she not choose one of us but the one that she chose, she doesn't even want to have sex with. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the, the, the brain process, which is completely inaccurate. And it's completely incorrect um, because I adore my spouse and he's awesome. But also um, just navigating those conversations is, uh, is very, very hard. Um, and it requires a lot more explanation. Uh, being poly is then we start getting into then you're just a slut, <laughs> you know, or if it's it, it really depends on who was the one whose idea it was, because if it's saying that it was my idea as a Latina female, then I'm a slut. But if it's that him as being a male or even a, a white male, then 
oh, he's a player. He, you know, and, and so there's, there's a lot of intersectionality with machismo culture and toxic masculinity. So um, in that sense, the poly part, especially being that we are um, not open to other males necessarily, we're mostly open to females. So then he's, you know, he's looking like the king of the mountain because he's going to have lots of girlfriends and his wife is dumb enough to, uh, like, allow it, right? <laughs> like, um, and then she's slutty enough to also want a female, right? And so it's, it's those are the two um, intersecting parts that, that get played because then it's like, oh, wait, but she's asexual. So that means she doesn't want to have sex with you. And so then it could be either or where then they'll think of him less as a man, because I don't, I'd rather feel like I want to have sex with another female, but not with a man, particularly him as a man. So, um, so that's how we sort of, those are the, the questions or the, the sentiments that make pop up. Wow. That is, that is a lot, right? There's so, and again, there's so many layers for all of us as human beings in exploring all of these different aspects of ourselves. And I think you so eloquently addressed some of those different facets of this particular topic that, again, a lot of people connect to no matter what cultural identity they're coming from, no matter what sexual orientation they have, that hits home for so many of us. I hate to say it, but we are at time. I can't believe that the time has flown by. These always go by too fast. So we, I think we have to have you on again next season. I think that's going to be a thing. Um, but I have one more question for you that I like to ask all of our guests, which is, what is the best sex or relationship advice that you have ever received? Honestly, don't press the button so <laughs> which is when we're talking about the clitoris and so it's just like it's not an elevator button like you know do some exploring don't press the button <laughs> it's, it's it hurts more than it actually helps <laughs> i i think that's my favorite answer i've ever gotten to that question because i was like button like don't push their emotional buttons or just yeah getting to the point yeah that that's remote for many people with clitorises that would be very uncomfortable so that's I, i'm cracking up over here but um that's actually very practical advice so thank you for that everyone has something to learn from that um i know people are going to love your messages, hearing your voice. And again, you are, are you fully done with the social work school or are you still in it? I have another year. Another year. Okay. So Miracle is about to be a licensed clinical social worker. Yes. Uh, licensed macro social worker. Ooh, macro social worker. See, another thing we have to cover next time. So people will want to get in touch with you, reach out. How can they do that? So I have my own podcast. Um, it is called the Still Persisting Podcast. And I talk about uh, different ways of being, um, especially from a coaching lens, because I do have a coaching. Uh, I am a trauma coach as well. Uh, I You can get a hold of me through Still Persisting. It's on Spotify. Um, you can get through Fire Grace Coaching. Uh, that's my email. It's all one word. 
uh, at gmail.com. Um, and you can certainly, you know, check in here and find ways of finding me on Instagram, on Twitter and on Facebook. Awesome. Thank you so much. We appreciate having you here today. And again, I'm looking forward to further conversations on this topic and with you. Thanks for listening, Curious Queeros. Join us next month for an all new episode. Until then, stay safe, love yourself, and remember to be the change you want to see in the world. Asking for a Friend is a Spectrum South podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Laura McGuire. This podcast is produced by Danny Benoit. Keep up with the latest episodes on iTunes, Spotify, and at SpectrumSouth.com. For sneak peeks and to submit your questions or suggestions for future guests, follow Spectrum South on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.